Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome back to Table Talk. Uh, I'm joined by John once again. Because Will is busy. Because Will is busy. But today we are going to be discussing some DM tips for first-time DMs and potential veteran DMs who want to really get into 5th uh, edition Dungeons & Dragons. So John came prepared with a couple of questions since he's probably going to start DMing soon. He is going to start DMing soon. Yeah. And I have a little bit of DMing experience under my belt, so I'm going to hopefully do my best to answer these questions and probably ask some of him as well. So, figured we'd start with, like, first session. The party is somewhat together. Okay. Um, so, not to give too much away, just because I did give a few of the people listening, um, a few of the people in my campaign the link to this podcast so they could listen. Okay. Um, but they're meeting at some, like, celebration. Kind of, like, similar to how we started our campaign. But there is no direct prophecy to, like, them needing to be together. Um, so I've asked a few of them to link their backstory to each other in some way or another. But how do you then, like, what suggestions would you have for keeping the party together, not just because they know each other and they're friends, but actually because their characters should want to? Okay. Um, well, one of the ways that I've found keeping a party together is to, yes, tie in some of their, tie, yes, tie in some of their backstories and have it kind of follow a little bit of the same trope, but also hopefully just during the quest and during everything, you can kind of create this sense of friendship between them, that they want to stay together. More of a want rather than a need, because it's that feeling of needing to stay together creates, could potentially create a sense of animosity where if you feel like your character would go and do something but it doesn't line up at all with what the party would do, then that can really create a sense of division between the players. Yeah, because I've been just reading up, and uh, a couple of things I saw just like on Reddit, for instance, were a rule that people will have is you cannot make your character leave the main party. Their best interest should somewhat be already leaning towards joining a group. Okay. And just, like, to me, that's that's a little unsettling just because it's, like, yes, I get it. Like, like some like they went in to describe, like, if your character is a thief, they should not be stealing from the party. I think that's a little more okay. Right, right, right. That's kind of part of the whole social grace of don't be a dick. Yeah. But, like, to enforce that on characters to just, like, stay together and make sure you also aren't a dick to your party. Like, you can be a dick to your party, but you have to have some redeeming quality, I feel. Right, to stay together. Or, like, you can not stay together as a party and also not be a dick. Yeah. Like, I think that with your party um, first coming together, and is it anyone's first time playing? Uh, Yeah, Sam's first time is... Uh, it's his first time playing. Okay. He's the only, other, only person. Okay, so even still, some people who maybe haven't played in a while or have only played a couple of times they might be unaccustomed to creating a character that does have this general desire to join a party. So maybe the first character they write, they really like, but they're a lone wolf. The lone wolf character is a really, really tough one to deal with because 
the player goes in kind of what we talked about in a previous episode with this main character mentality that they're the lone wolf who's going to be the savior, but that doesn't really work in this social dynamic game. Yeah. So, I mean, one, one way I could, one way to kind of combat that is to just talk with your players and kind of make sure no one is a true lone wolf. Like, cause you, you can be kind of a lone wolf without truly being you know hateful towards your other party yeah, members. Th- there's, there's a difference between hating people and then just spending time more secluded exactly at that point you're pretty much just an introvert yeah you don't have to be an extrovert to be a part of a party no so one thing with that is definitely talk with your players and just kind of again make them understand that not make them understand help them understand that it is a social game and there are certain points where sometimes characters and players might argue, but in the end, they do need to come together. And if they can't reach that agreement, either someone needs to stop playing or someone needs to stop playing that character. Yeah. Um, we mentioned this before, like just talking personally about possibly pulling some aside for like a pre-campaign, just like introduce them to each other and then force them to like join together basically like since like a few of them do have common backgrounds like we could or i could you know like introduce them to each other because their goals are so similar that it any side quest i give them could be given to both of them and they have to work in tandem to do it right and that actually that kind of actually leads well in kind of leads back to the lone wolf conversation is even if these even if this character thinks that they have to do it on their own giving them something a little bit beyond their individual level could make them want to work with a party. Yeah. Give them something that where they can't do it alone. So if these two characters that you're talking about have this similar backstory, if it's the wizard and the warlock, I believe you're talking about, then maybe they need to hire some muscle. Maybe they need to find some people to guard them because wizards and warlocks are not known to be the most tanky of characters squishy some would describe them as exactly so i mean there's certainly plenty of ways you could go about even if it's just two people who have a similar quest you could easily tie the others into that yeah i i do have some thoughts about just texting two of them because two of them just are more available and i could easily be like hey let's meet tomorrow we'll play for like two hours just like a nice intro session and I was thinking of doing that just because then it gives Sam, my very, like, new player, chance to play with the most experienced person in the party. But that leads me to a completely different question. I have somebody who I feel like is going to be a bit of a problem character, or just a problem player in general, just because his character is very chaotic in the sense that he's not playing a character, he's playing a gimmick. Mm. His character, I, he said, I want to be a druid farmer. I was like, okay, cool. We'll talk it out. What, where, what's your parents' situation like? Are they alive? Are they dead? You know, just figuring they'd be dead because that's usually the way to go if you're a D&D, D&D character. Trope. Yeah, your character's 75% more likely to have dead parents if you're a D&D character. <laughs> um, but he, he just looked at me. He goes, no, my parents are gone. I was like, okay, so they left you? Yeah, when I was about four. I've been alone ever since. I'm a very poor farmer. Don't have a good life. And he was like smiling about it. And I'm just like, okay, what else? And he was just like, that's it. That's my entire personality. And I was like, like, I'm, I'm trying to explain, like, his character should have goals and everything. Um, and from what I've heard from other people who have played with him, he's given a bit of an issue. Okay. So just, like, at that point, like, how do, should I go at him with the approach of, like, 
hey, fix your character. <laughs> because in essence, that's really what he needs to do, is, is like, his character, sure, if he doesn't have anything now, but, like, at least, you know, something more tangible or realistic than, my parents have left me alone ever since I was four, we adjusted it, so now it's eight. I still think that's too young. That's a little young. Yeah. So, dealing with that kind of problem player, you need to... It's also less so about that individual player as it is for the group as a whole. Because I I know, again, we talked about this a little bit outside of the podcast, but you need to determine what type of game you're going to be playing. So if you're going to be playing a beer and pretzels, dungeon crawl, kind of just go and slay some monsters once a week and have some fun with it, you don't really need to have a character backstory. Mm -hmm. You don't really need to have this big in-depth thing that Stoner's Aros has in our campaign. But if you guys do want to do a more involved story, maybe talk to him about that. Say, hey, the other people here at this table want to do this deeply involved thing. And I feel as though you might feel left out in regards to certain aspects of the game. Because I plan on, I, I don't know how you plan on doing it, but I like to do it where I, I do want to touch on the backstories of the yeah. people I play with. And the I, I find that their backstories give them goals and give them aspirations that they can eventually um, work up to. Yeah. And because of this, it if a character doesn't have goals and aspirations or flaws or bonds and ideals, that whole right side of the chart on the player, on the character sheet, character sheet it's, you, you can develop a very bland character and not really feel in the game. Yeah. Versus if everyone else does. Now, again, if everyone else is like, yeah, fuck it. I don't really care. I don't really have a backstory. I'm a paladin. I'm a wizard. I'm a warlock. I'm a this, that, and the other thing. And I just am. It just is. Then, sure. Just being a, you know, dirt poor farmer who is left alone. That's fine. Yes. It's not that big of a deal. But again, I think that's a conversation that the group needs to have together. While, yes, it is a story that you are creating, it is also a game that everyone is playing. Yeah. Because I do have... Almost every other party member I've talked to has some form of backstory. And I have the wizard, his parents are dead. I think a few of his siblings are still alive, from what I've read from his like brief two-page backstory. Um, but the warlock, like both of his parents are still alive. And they had, like, he, we've discussed, like, what they do for a living. And he was just like, oh, and then would you, like, bring them into the game? Like, would I meet my parents in-game? And I was like, yeah, of course we can. Like, at some point, like, if your parents are going to be trading sailors, then, like, you know, we can eventually be like, you're at a port. And, like, hey, you rolled high enough from perception. You see your family's crest over there. Obviously, it wouldn't be, like, a high roll just because he would recognize that easily. Right. But to have people, like, that are, like, granted, I'm still missing, like, one backstory, to me, it's just kind of like, I don't want to be a douche about it because we've been friends for so long and I don't want to be like, dude, your character is not a character. Your character is just a trope. And a trope is fine. A trope is fine to start out, but it's it's asking those kind. It's asking some of the questions that I know I've asked you and the rest of the party. Even small, simple questions. Does your character have any fears? Maybe, maybe spiders scare him. Yeah. Some Something as small as that and you can maybe... Trace that back and well, why do spiders scare him? 
And then you can continue on and maybe through these small questions, this player can potentially see the different ways in which they can really understand and really get in the mindset of this character because that's uh, we've mentioned this before but this is one of my favorite ways to play the game is the role-playing aspect is to get so into a character that it's you make a decision that you wouldn't otherwise make like wasting a third level spell slot to save some random slave yeah but i mean and but how rewarding was that it was it was okay Uh, it was one of those, I didn't have to think, I just, I was very, like, I'm very, I feel like I'm very aware of what stone my character does. So, the moment you were like, oh yeah, they get launched, I was immediately just like, that's what he's gonna do, he's gonna save this person, because everyone deserves a shot at life in his eyes, no matter what their stance is in life. Even if he doesn't agree with you, he acknowledges you have a reason to live, and you should live your life. So, it was immediately just like, alright, I've gotta make that decision, and I wanna get them there, I feel like you've done a good job of getting us there. Well, thanks. Yeah. But is <laughs> it is definitely, maybe even use that example, especially because Stone is a druid and he wants to be a druid and you can kind of, you don't have to be the druid stereotype, yeah, man, everything needs life and life needs things <laughs> to live, man. Because playing the the edgy rogue, playing the chivalrous paladin, Playing the horny nerdy, bard. Nerdy wizard. Nor- nerdy wizard. Some of these tropes are fine, but you can also go outside of them and you can be a noble druid. You can be a horny cleric. A horny paladin who's just always guilty afterwards. <laughs> oh, that's a whole that's a whole separate conversation. But post nut clarity. Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, with this problem player, I mean Again, I my big recommendation would be that session zero of sitting down and asking your players, what is the type of game we want? Do we want hilarity and jokes and whereby level five, you guys are fighting a Tarrasque with super magical items? Or is it going to be a little bit more nitty gritty where it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks to level up? And if you find one magic item, it's incredibly rare legendary magic items don't even exist like that depends on that depends on your world that depends on the quest you're trying to give but most importantly that depends on your players yeah it it depends on what everyone expects out of the game and if everyone is saying that they want really involved characters and they want awesome role play and awesome interactions between these players and between these characters and this one player is just like yeah, well, I'm a farmer and a druid and I'm alone. It it might create that, again, that distance, that division between the players that can be so negative. Yeah, I, I feel like it might be just like, he. there might be the misunderstanding of, while yes, this is a game and it is like, make your character, it's not as simple as like, okay, I'm playing Diablo 3, I'm going to play the Paladin because they're a frontline fighter, you know, like they're in the front. I feel like he doesn't necessarily have a grasp of the idea of, like, what you put into your character benefits you in the long run when it comes to the actual non-mechanical part of the game. Then just out of curiosity, do you feel as though this is this person is a druid, I believe? Yeah. I'm not saying this at all to be an insult to this person person's intelligence, but do you feel as though it might be a little easier 
if they were to play a class with a little bit less mechanical to do, so they might be able to focus on that role play. Maybe I I don't know. He has played from what I've heard before, but it's just like every time he's played, it's been just the game to him. The role play from what I've heard has been just ignored on his end. Okay. So at that point, I I'm what I've thought of so far is like I'm gonna send him like a list of questions about his character, and ask him to answer them seriously before or after the first session depending on when we can get in just so we can take his character from like i'm just the poor farmer who's going into town during this big magnificent event to gamble my life savings and see if i can make some more money and get myself a better living and take that into something like a very interesting character that we can make out of it right because there's there's so many different things that you can do with a simple human farmer about why he's adventuring what he hopes to achieve does he want to move beyond just being a farmer yeah so I only pose the question because sometimes playing a more quote-unquote mechanically simple class can result in heavy roleplay, if you, if you understand my meaning. I, I get it. I, I, I tried to like prod him and be like, okay, so your parents left. Like, why? Because I feel like as a DM, you never know what is always going to be into, in your world. Just because whatever your characters bring to the table now has to be accommodated into the world. Lots of yes and, yep. Exactly. So if he were to come up to me and be like, oh, my parents were taken, they just left. Like, that would leave me room to now go, okay, so something had to have forced his parents to leave. Something had to happen. But he was just like, no, they just left. Like, they they had me for, like, four years and then they were out. And Like, I could still work with that. But I would want some direction of where he would want to go with it because it's his character. I don't want to be like... Your parents left because you were just that ugly, <laughs> you know, or your parents won the lottery. They decided you weren't worth it, you know, like I would want him to give me more of that. So I feel like a sheet might help of like, just like, hey, what is this? You know, what's this? Uh, why does your character do this? What's their goal? You know, I like to do that with you guys. I like to even if you guys never give me answers, I like to simply ask the question because it gives me insight into the things that your character might enjoy, the things that your character might dislike. And through the likes and dislikes of your character, I know for a fact I found a magic item that is all about, like, it's pretty much a big dark trench coat. And it is, it, I, it's something called, like, the Beguiler's Coat or the Deceptor's Coat. I know Zaros would be all into that. Of course he would. I, exactly. So, like, if I were to put that in front of him and say that was a reward for a quest, you bet your ass Zaros would be on it, like, white on rice. And so maybe you can even, like, mention like mention things like that to this to this player where you want them to feel involved. You want them to feel like they're not just playing a game, but living in a world. Yeah. You understand my meaning? I do. So... Homebrew rules are a question I had. I know you did an episode last week on it. I did. I listened to it. Um, and it was literally just like while my friends, while my party was asking me, hey, what homebrew rules are we going to use? Um, I'm literally using majority of the ones we use. Okay. I think almost all of them. Just because I like the aesthetic of them and the way they work mechanically. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Homebrew rules are definitely something you should discuss with your party. Yeah. Both in person and probably doing your best to give them just like a quick list of like the easier ones mm -hmm. the more in-depth ones might require more of a conversation yeah but one thing you also have to remember is that you are the dungeon master 
you are the person who has the final say. So I know we've had this small discussion where you kind of said, isn't that something we need to discuss? In the back of my mind, I went, well, not really. Yeah. And while that can, again, kind of create that adversarial feeling, it's still something that the dungeon master is the final arbiter of the rules. They're the final person where to just make a, make a judgment, make a decision, and they are the final say in in game, table to table. Yeah. So if you start to play and maybe, because I, I know I said last week that I do all of the... Um, death saving throws behind the dm screen and you guys don't know what that is the reason being is that way you can't plan around going nah i got two successful death saving throws i'm good i have at least two rounds before i'm either unconscious or dead yeah and that's something i'm taking with me into this game and i explained that to the most experienced player um who's playing the wizard and he was just like that's really cool he goes because now we don't know and we can't plan around that. And I'm like, exactly. It makes the game just feel a little more real. Exactly. You go from being in your basement to now you're watching your character's unconscious body and you're like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, okay, well, the monk's over there and they haven't revived me yet, even though they have a health potion. The cleric is down. Uh, all we have left is the gunslinger. Shit. Okay. Uh, I might die. Exactly. Oh, wait. He rolled a nat 20. I'm up. One health point. Word. Cool. Yeah, that happened once and I could not believe it. Honestly, it was with my character. That's yep. why. I, yeah. I thought I was dying with the way you looked at the dice and the way you started talking to me. I was like, oh, well, that's it for me. Regardless, outside of story time, there's that discussion you need to have with your players. Kind of that just small understanding. And it, and that kind of ties in with the fact that you need to make sure that they respect you as the dungeon master. That is completely separate of them respecting you as your their friend. Yeah. Because it, it is, I, you've said this to me before, it is slightly different. Yes, you're John, their friend, but if you were to go be their dungeon master, you are now John, the game master, John, the dungeon master. You are the final blocker between game and reality. You are the person where if someone goes, hey, this does this, right? And you're like, actually, no. They need to respect that in that moment, your decision is no. Even though later they might bring up, hey, actually, this is the way it is. In which case you can go, oh, crap, my bad. We'll kind of rework some things a little bit with you yeah. and then fix it for like continuing on. But stopping the game and having that 10 minute discussion of rules severely breaks the immersion and suspension of disbelief. And you need to be that final blockade. Yeah, if yeah, I'm getting it. Sorry, I just yeah. had to burp. No, you're good. So, but that's especially true with homebrew rules. Is they're different at every table. Yeah, a lot of them are you know common health potions or a bonus action. That's fairly normal. Yeah. Um, I don't know what other common ones there are. Um, nat twenties do fuck tons of damage, obviously, but like the way we do it is a little bit different. Yeah. But. Again, the way I do fall damage. Falling is a d10 rather than a d6. Yeah. I think that makes it a little bit more realistic, but that also might be contentious with some people. Yeah. So, there, there's... I can all, understand that. Yeah, there's always, the, there's always the thought process that you need to be this both respectful to them, but also earn their respect in them understanding you are the final say. 
Yeah. This is all session zero type stuff to, to mention to them, I'm gathering. Yes, session zero is extremely important. And then going off of homebrew rules to the rule of cool. The rule of cool. Where exactly do you... I, I understand one instance in which it's happened, but what are... I need... I would prefer to know a few more examples because Thunderstep is not a reactionary spell. But right. when they were flown off, it was like immediately a reaction to teleport and catch them. Right. That was kind of a rule of cool moment to me just because that shouldn't have been able to happen. Right. And I had to roll a dex check and an intelligence check to see if you could kind of judge everything correctly. And you did. And you succeeded. Um, For the most part... As a dungeon master, I am a rules-as-intended kind of person. Sometimes rules-as-written are a little broken, a little dumb. Yeah. But I'm also not always the rule of cool, because I find that I still enjoy playing a game. If I wanted to sit around telling stories, I would do that. Yeah. For me, looking at it and having someone go... I want to run over and leap down the pirate ship and fall 20 feet in the air, stabbing the giant in the head with my dagger, killing it instantly. Well, there's a lot of action economy to deal with that. Yeah. There's movement speed, there's fall damage, there's actual damage of a dagger. So that there's multiple things, and for me, I would probably look at that and go, well, you're probably not going to do that. Yeah. A rule of cool that we kind of um, in the, mentioned in the Rejected campaign a little bit was when Will's character, who was a wizard, a graviturgy wizard, and again, this is just kind of a bullshit campaign that I threw together yeah. while we have an, uh, a hiatus from our main campaign. Leveled up twice each session. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, but he combined shape water and mold earth and created kind of a mud carapace around his character. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really do anything mechanically, but I gave him advantage on saving throws against poisonous poisonous mosquitoes Mm -hmm. because I enjoyed the creative thinking and actual logic behind it. Um, There really haven't been too, too many instances with the rule of cool. Yeah. In, In our campaign, it's kind of at the moment, it's fairly by the book. Yeah. If you guys were to do something a little bit more out of the ordinary, that would certainly be times where I would have to, again, make that snap second decision and be that final arbiter of the rules. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 definitely a fine line to walk in regards to the rule of cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have any extra questions. Um. The only other question I have written down is something I want to, like, talk to a party member a little more about. Okay. So, yeah, what are your questions? Do you got anything for me? Sure. Um, I think one question I might have for you is, what makes your world unique? That is an excellent question. <laughs> it's fair, and you might not have that exactly written out yet. Which is perfectly fine because you don't because you don't have to. You're just starting world building. You're just kind of getting into it. And while you might have these massive, crazy ideas all out there in the idea space, bringing them all in and kind of creating a very unique set of rules about a world can be difficult. Yeah, I I I feel like our campaigns have been the world is very discovered. Uh, you've mentioned that like the complete other country in your world has not been discovered. 
Right. I read the DMG and I was just like, I like the idea of the world being semi-new. So I, I guess if anything, that would be something I, I know my characters haven't had a real chance to deal with. The world isn't exactly fully discovered. The magic is flourishing and people don't know the full capability of it. And that's just like unique, like, whoa, look at what I wrote. Like, that's so cool. I've discussed that I don't want to write out the big bad evil guy and everything until I meet my players a little bit, until I meet their characters and see what drives them, where they want to go with things. And when I get their finalized backstories, then I can start working with that a little more. But I don't, I like the idea of just like they're entering the world and then the world will be shaped by their addition to it. Okay. Now, just kind of a follow up question solely based on what you said. Are there any restrictions to magic that you're putting on? Because there are, as you say, magic is new in this world. There's still a lot of things being discovered. For example, in my world, um, the year is 721 AM, the age of magic. Mm -hmm. Magic has only been around this age for 721 years. And a lot of the old, amazing magical artifacts have been lost to time. Mm -hmm. So maybe some spells, some strong abilities, or even subclasses, such as the Echo Knight and the Chronergy Wizard in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, don't fully make sense to be in my world. To have someone who has mastered time magic or has mastered different realities doesn't make sense for something that is only 721 years after the after the, reintroduce, the, the reintroduction of magic. So my backup character can't be a Chronergy Wizard? Correct. Whack. <laughs> It just, it, it doesn't fit inside my world. And because of that, I, there are certain limitations. Mm -hmm. So with that, are there 7th, 8th, ninth level spell books? Do they exist? Or do spells like that have to be discovered? Do spells like that have to be created? Some of them are. Um, I have determined that, like, there will be, like, obviously there are 7th, 8th, and ninth level spells. Of course. They're a little harder to come by, but that's also just because I don't know if my characters or this campaign is going to go past, like, 7th level, realistically. Right. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm thinking more so the world rather than the campaign. Yeah. And if anything, like, if I, did, if I feel like this campaign can't get that far, that might be what is the case. You know? And then if they decide, like, afterwards, they're like, that was really fun, let's do another campaign, then I can put them into the future of that same world where they have been discovered or something like that. Right. And of course you have plenty of time. You've just started kind of building this world. You have plenty of time to think about that. Would there be any subclasses that don't make sense in my world? Would there be any classes that don't make sense in my world? For example, if, if it was the year two in my world, wizards really wouldn't be a thing because you can't learn something that's been forgotten. It has you. There has to be time. There has to be people who discover it. So if you wanted to be a wizard, you might have to instead be a sorcerer. Yeah. Do do, do you understand? I, like, I get it. I'm just I'm trying to work through a thought. Like, I I had this like brief idea, and I don't know if it it's going to be a thing. Just because it like to me it's like it makes sense briefly, and then you start thinking about it. You know, like. If anything, I was thinking sorcerers would be very, like, hard to come by. Just because nobody's playing it. And also, since Magical is so new and most of the people have not just, like, experienced Magical. It's like the year, like, 200 or something in mind. Okay. 
like sorcerers would not be something very common. Like people would believe magic is more taught than just born with. Like th- that's what I was thinking. But the more I like think about it, the more I lean away from it. Okay, understandable. But I mean, there's there's points in the Dungeon Master's Guide in Chapter One, I believe, where it discusses like low magic versus high magic systems in your world, where high magic everything is magical. Yeah, there's floating cities there's streets that move like an escalator that carry your yeah. cart or i've read the dmg okay i don't know i'm don't just come at me. i'm just saying i'm just in regards to that there's so many different ways of doing it so i mean if you wanted to make it where inherent born magic is so incredibly rare maybe it happens or only once every hundred years in one species yeah like only now that might encourage you know your player to go i want to be that one person in which case you kind of have to work it maybe it's not just that but yeah maybe it's the sixth generation in a noble human family and they covet that they have to they keep doing their best to reproduce to trying trying to get to that yeah because the end of the lineage is the end of that branch of magic exactly and a lot of people see that as unique, and maybe that's why they're a noble. Not even because five of the six generations, you know, are wealthy or anything, but there's that one person, every sixth generation, who can be this magical sorcerer, this bastion of magical energy. Yeah. So you could even you could even work in stuff like that, where it is very rare to be a sorcerer, which is perfectly fine. There are many different ways where if you think small, it's a lot easier to start small and build out yeah. than it is to look top down at your world going, all right, here's the entire world. I need to do all of this. Yeah. And also just like the WebDM episode of like, don't build your entire world. Like really like, I agree with that. Like I don't want to make and sit here and spend hours upon hours creating every little tiny encounter or you know every detail because the my precious setting syndrome would probably get me pretty hard then i don't do that (laughs) yeah there's a reason you guys started in a small corner of the country where you have three towns that are like your main source of adventure and there's a lot to do in those towns yeah sure i've been building up everything else Hell, I did 45 minutes of research on furniture, and that research on descriptions of furniture has given me incredible insight as to the country to the south. So starting with something small, even looking at, and you can even tell your players that. I told told you guys from the very beginning you could go anywhere, in which case I'd make shit up on the fly and go with it. But if you want your players to stay in this city where... They're starting with this giant carnival. Just tell them that. Be like, hey guys, I'm a first time DM, so for this, I just there's there's enough to do in the city to take you from levels two through whatever. Yeah. Or not even say that. There's enough in the city to entertain your characters for a long, significant period of time. So there's there's definitely a way where you can kind of work with your players and again have that conversation session zero is incredibly important have that conversation that is how do we start 
where do we want to go and what are our thoughts currently and potential thoughts for the future yeah all good all good thanks again john hopefully see you next week and let me tell you i'm fucking excited for our session on saturday can't wait to die you're not gonna die I'm speaking it out of existence all right bud see ya. 